Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunday, the 25th of June. Well, yes, surprise, surprise. I'm back. It feels like ages. I promise you, it really does feel like ages. When you've been doing an impression of sort of, uh, of sort of somebody spread-eagled on an operating uh, table for about an hour and a half, and uh, then you've had the, uh, the relaxation. And the only thing I have to show for it, it's not like, you know, it's major, major surgery. It's invasive surgery, but not major, major surgery. It's I've got two puncture marks in my right hand. And I've just realised, actually, a bit of bruising on my right hand as well. But uh, apart from that, we are fighting fit. Uh, I say fighting fit. I'm taking it slowly, bit by bit by bit. But I promise you, it's, it's nice to be back. It's nice to be anywhere, really. Grateful to be alive. And what do we do after Brexit? Do we lose half the NHS staff? I had literally a complete run through all the different people. I had a Greek surgeon. I had um, Italian uh, male nurses, Spanish nurses and Thai operating theatre assistants. And that was just for me. Just for me. I've, I've always said I'm a big, big fan of the NHS. I've always been a big fan of the NHS. I think they work. I tell you what, if you could buy them a present, I would buy a present for the people in, uh, in my place. I think of um, a water fountain. A water fountain. It's such a simple thing to have. But I promise you, because when you go in for this uh, cardiology and you're going in for, for some some surgery to find out where, where your blockage is in your heart. That's what that was specifically for the angiogram. And, um, and I'll run the, for those people, because there might be many of you who are booked in for next week. And you might be sort of, you might have read the thing, but you might be thinking, oh, what, what's it really like? I'll tell you what it's really like later on. Apart from those people who are slightly squeamish on the blood front, in which case, try not to think about it. But it's, I promise you, you don't, you don't really feel anything. The only thing I felt was a little twinge in my heart, only because I, th- but it, it was fine. I promise you, it was absolutely fine. But uh, everybody was so nice. I got so many texts and emails and work sent flowers and stuff. Honestly, seriously, it must be it must be like that after you die. And people are really nice to you. And people were saying nice things like hurry up and come back. And uh, where was the best of Steve Allen? The answer is there wasn't. I don't think there was a worst of Steve Allen either. But uh, at least I had an opportunity. And it's, it's the first time in ages that I've actually had three days off like that because I had the when I worked the Tuesday had the Wednesday the Thursday and the Friday and then yesterday so effectively four days off well I've never had four days I don't know what to do with four days and so I did get to that st- even my boss phoned me and he said um he said if you need more more time off just let, just let us know I said no I'm fine I was getting to be honest with you I was getting bored I was getting bored and everything was happening at work and, you know, there were so many disasters occurring and I was sort of watching the news and I was listening to the programmes and I was listening to all the bits and pieces and I was listening to people saying they weren't coming out of a block of flats in Camden and people saying they were coming out of a block of flats. And then there were all the pets and then there was the other stories people were writing into saying, oh, you know, some of the flats were rented out. Apparently in some of the ones in Camden, their owned flats. I thought they were council. I seriously didn't, uh, you know, I, I sort of became a, a firm convert of Camden Council who reacted in the only way that they could have done, contrary to what a lot of other people have said. I think there's 83 people who've said we're not coming out of the flats. And I thought, but they have to do that. They have to do that to make sure that, you know, in the event of something happening, you know, I mean, I think the, the odds are very, uh, you know, are sort of controlled on whether anything happens again. The last time it was started by a fridge. Now, we don't know whether that fridge was up against the wall, whether something caught for, we don't know. We just know that something happened. They've not had a problem with these fridges before. And I was sort of looking at it saying, and there were people moaning, saying, I'm not leaving. And you think, but they're doing it for your own good. All right, admittedly, 
you know, one minute you're in a, a flat. I never understood as well that there were people in the in the tower block, a number of people that we, we spoke to who were ill. Uh, some of them, pardon me, were asthmatic. Some of them had all sorts of uh, problems like that. Um, and I was thinking, what are you doing in a tower block anyway? There was one woman, she was asthmatic, and she's on the 17th floor. What barmy mad council sticks an asthmatic woman over the age of 70 on the 17th floor? There were other, and then I think Andrew Cass was saying, you know, they, they, he did, was it Andrew Cass? I can't remember, I think it might have been. And he, he did an interview and, and it was a case of, will these people be dragged out? And the answer is, no, they obviously won't be dragged out, that would be inappropriate, but they will be persuaded to leave. And he said, why don't we just turn the electricity off? I thought, what, so now they're going to sit there in pitch darkness with no facility for making a cup of tea or anything like that? It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. What amazed me more than anything and I don't live in a tower block. I don't know what it's like to live there. I should imagine the views are great and everything else. But, you know, some of these places, they don't, they don't look the nicest of places to want to live. But anyway, nevertheless, people are sort of living in there. And then there were hotels that wouldn't take people because they had dogs. I didn't even know you were allowed dogs in tower blocks. And cats. Some people had cats. In a t- well, how does that work? Does that, perhaps it doesn't go outside. Perhaps it's never seen the outside. But what they were doing is just covering themselves. But what amazed me more than anything else was the fact that they've now found how many different tower blocks now that have got this cladding on the front? 34 tower blocks. So had we not had this fire in the tower block at Shepherd's Bush, they wouldn't have checked any of these. None of these would have been checked. I thought they were checked on a regular basis. That's that's what I thought. You know, are the fire alarms checked on a... Because when our fire alarms are checked here... We do them weekly. At home, we do ours about every three months, I think. But uh, we, we're aware of it. We put up notices saying there's going to be a fire alarm test tomorrow morning. Here, they, they put out a message throughout the entire building. It's all done. About, obviously, in tower blocks, they don't bother. They don't bother with doing fire regulations. or They just put up a notice, uh, written in English, I should imagine. Because judging by the amount of different you know, people in there from different countries, it should be written in about seven languages. But how many people in tower blocks? How many people in tower blocks do you know? You say to them, excuse me, in the event of a fire, where do you meet? They don't do fire drills. In residential, they don't have to do fire drills. But do you think they know where they're supposed to meet? Or do they just stand there and sort of run for their lives? But how are you supposed to know? We know where we're supposed to meet. We're supposed to meet out on the street, but away from the building. Well, all these people, they're supposed to be... Yeah, but I wonder how many people understand English in these different blocks. I kept thinking about all the, and then more people came out with dogs, and then there were people going, oh, "I'm not leaving my flat." And I heard some quite, you know, some quite angry people saying, "I'm not leaving. I think it's quite safe." And you feel like saying to them, "Yeah, but they're just they're covering their backs. They're they're hoping to say to you, you know, listen, we want to get it checked. We want to take off all the cladding, you know, and in case something happens, we want to get you out. We don't want you to waste fireman's time having to rescue you." having been told that you should have left the building in the first place. So I'm quite happy to see people out for a few weeks. If it makes it safer, then it makes it safer. But these stupid people coming on, going on about, I'm definitely not coming out there, I'm going to stay there, I don't think there's any risk. Well, I'm glad you think you know better than the fire people. They say there's a risk, that's why they've got to take the stuff down. And if it makes you safer, surely that's a better thing, isn't it? What would you rather do, live or die? Believe you me, I've had the option this week. (laughs) Believe you me, living is nicer. Living is a lot, lot nicer. I did tweet the other day, it's a great day to be alive because the one thing about having uh, heart surgery is that all of a sudden you can do things that you couldn't do the day before. Isn't that bizarre? The things you couldn't do. I couldn't walk up the stairs at Twickenham Station without stopping at the top because I felt winded, because I couldn't, because I couldn't breathe. On the walk from 
to, to come here this morning, I would normally stop twice. Normally hanging on to my heart, thinking, oh, it's going to burst, isn't it? And so the moment you have the, uh, the surgery done, the moment you have the angiogram and they go, right, this is, this is where the blockage is, then they discover that the blockage is calcified. So consequently, they have to sort of use a slightly thicker wire through your wrist. They, uh, they keep pushing it up there to sort of break up the cal- And then all of a sudden the blood flows. And that's like having a, a little dam and the water builds up and builds up and builds up one side of it. It's not going through little tiny, tiny bits of it. Then all of a sudden they open up the dam and the whole thing flows through and it's brilliant. But uh, where I went, which was the West Middlesex, you have to be in at eight o'clock in the morning. It might be the same for everybody. I don't know. I can only remember the last one I had, which was eight years ago. And I cannot remember the time that, that I went in. I think it might have been probably eight o'clock. So I think I was working uh, in that morning. And then I went from, from the building we were in uh, off to the hospital. And you get there at eight o'clock in the morning. And then they have a meeting at about half past. They always take your blood pressure, do your bloods and things like that. Then they have a meeting on which order you're going to be done. And there were six of us. And I was first. I was first. And it's, it's like I always think walking into an operating theatre, and I did walk into an operating theatre, it's quite daunting. If you've not been in one before, it is quite daunting. But all you have to keep saying to yourself is this one sentence, they've done it before. They've done it a million times. Well, not quite a million, but they've certainly done it loads of times before. This is what they do all day. My, my surgeon was Greek and I'd met him the week before, two weeks before. And uh, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. He'd already taught me through exactly what the operation was and what the procedure was. And uh, my consultant, Nick, had sort of explained things as well. All this is due to a referral from my, from my GP. Literally, it happened fairly quickly. I go to see my GP complaining about my chest pains back again. He puts me on this spray and then I get a reference uh, to go to the hospital. Then I go for the stress test, if you remember. And, uh, and after that, then I got the operation on the Wednesday. And what they do is they check the angiogram. So first of all, you're lying on the table. You're covered in what can only be described as a piece of rubber sheeting. with Your arms stretched out on the right hand side. It's generally the right hand side. They do it. That was the way the table was. And, uh, and then they start doing that. They give you an anaesthetic in your hand, which numbs it. So you don't feel anything. You really, I promise you that he could have been, he could have sort of walked a tractor up the inside of my vein. So the vein on the top of your hand has got the happy juice going in. And I had uh, 200 milligrams or whatever. I, just, I, I think it was 200. It seemed like an awful lot at the time. It seemed like a hell of a lot of 200 milligrams of this stuff, but it numbed me up enough. And I was there about an hour and a half and it was, it was perfect. You know, when you come out, your arms a little bit sore and then you're wired up and then they and then they then they drop the bombshell because you think, don't you? You have the operation like anything else. If it's something like that, which is done under local anaesthetic, uh, a couple of hours, they let you out. Six hours, six hours. I didn't get out there till five. And it's because you're monitored every 30 minutes. They're doing blood pressure. So I've got that connected up. I've got the thing doing whatever it is on my hand. Then I've got chest stickers all over the place. I mean, it's very, it's an exciting look. I was going to take a picture of it. I thought, no, I'm not going to bore the pants off you with it. And uh, I've got my little gown on. Never got to wear my pyjamas. Furious about that. And all I wanted was ice cold water when I came out of the, uh, out of the operating theatre. I wanted ice cold water. But they only have tap water. And I want, you know, one of those big containers full of water. And I thought, I really, I really fancied that. I just wanted ice. I had a cup of tea. And uh, then they sort of sat me up in the bed. But I'm still connected to this blooming thing. And then you've got a little balloon in your arm, which they let down every sort. It's all, it's all very technical. But five o'clock, I was allowed out. But somebody has to come and collect you. They won't let you wander off by yourself in case you go a bit do-lally. 
So I, I was collected by my friend Lynn. <laughs> had to sort of find a way up to the... Uh, it's only a small little ward, cardiology, very small. But uh, such really nice people, seriously. Then they give you a thing afterwards. Would you recommend this to somebody else? <laughs> I'm going to recommend it to all my friends. All my friends, because it was it was brilliant. And you feel the effect immediately. And so for a few days after that, I've done a bit of, bit of walking and I've done little bits and pieces. And today I managed to walk from... Uh, the car to here without getting any chest pains or anything like that. So uh, I was kind of, kind of relieved, you know. Kind of, you know, when you sort of my, my boss phoned me and he said, "How are you feeling?" And I talked him through it. You could you could hear him balking at the the idea because at one point the the blood thing on the top of my hand, which was being held together with sticky plaster, fell off, and I became a little a little geezer all by myself with blood. Sp- Bouting all over the place makes it about sound a bit dramatic, but I mean, it's certainly it was certainly bright red. I was quite impressed with the colour. I thought that's nice. I quite like the idea of bright red blood. But anyway, so I um, I sort of sat at home and I got loads of your texts and emails from loads of lovely, lovely people. It really, I mean, I got so many in, in the in the hospital. Every so often, my phone was going beep, and it was another another few popping in, and it was just it was lovely. I said to my boss, I said, you know, it makes you feel quite humble that people actually care. Because generally speaking, I mean, I know that, you know, I've got some very loyal uh, listeners who kind of sort of get a bit panicky over me. You know, as one moves into one's 40th year, you know what it's like. And so uh, I got I got some great things, some great things from sort of friends of mine in the in the business. Loads of ones from friends of mine in the business. And um, and this morning they said, good luck when I was going. I said, I've probably forgotten how to do it. I've probably forgotten how you actually sort of uh, do a radio programme. So I thought for this morning, because Sunday morning is an easy one for me. It's, it's, not, it's not a difficult one. All I have to do is, uh, is fill two hours on the radio with the newspapers and your texts and your emails and stuff like that. And, and it's easy peasy. If it was a three hour programme, which it will be tomorrow morning, it might be a little bit, uh, a little bit more different. But I had a, I had a lovely uh, one from, um, from Jonathan Shallot, Professor Jonathan Shallot. As you know, Jonathan has got... Um, a stable of stars. I mean, I don't think there's many people on television he doesn't have. But anyway, he says we're having... He, he, he sent me this one on Friday. He said, my dear Steve, he said, we're having our Friday Jewish family dinner and you're being talked enormously fondly. My mother-in-law, Carmel, listens to you every morning for the whole show and is sharing anecdotes. <laughs> he says, uh, I wish you a speedy recovery and I'm delighted to hear from James Rear. The operation was a success. He said, I need to hear your voice again as I get on my cross trainer. So, uh, Professor Jonathan Shallot, OBE, OBE. Thank you so much for that. I got, you know, Eddie Mayer sent me a nice thing as well. Phil Vickery said, looking forward to hearing you back again. Actually, I was laughing this morning to myself because I was watching the things on YouTube and it's Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby corpsing on this morning. And you cannot fail but laugh. And it's uh, there was one with Fern and Philip, who's obviously the one who instigates this giggling. If, it, if it's got a double entendre in it, he laughs. And Phil was demonstrating muffins and they were talking about what muffins they enjoy and what muffin. And Philip Schofield is doubled up in laughter. And there was other bits on there. Once Philip goes, Holly then went and Fern. I mean, it was just it was so infectious. There was about 15 minutes of just people laughing. And if there's one thing I quite like to watch, it's people laughing because it makes me laugh at the same time. I got some lovely flowers from work, which were beautiful. And as I say, I mean, so many texts from you. And from people saying, oh, I'm glad you've come through it OK. I did worry, actually. At one, there was only one point in the whole procedure where I lay there and 
I couldn't see the big television screen on the left-hand side of the operating table, which is what the surgeon was looking at. He was looking at the screen because he can see the, um, the artery, which is blocked. So he's watching that because that's the only thing he's got to go. But over my head, there's like a disc, like a flying saucer. And that's moving constantly backwards, sideways. It's literally, it's like a hat from Ascot. And it's doing that. And what it's doing, it's sort of measuring brain activity. And so he says, oh, can you show me another picture before that? He's constantly checking things. Constantly checking. And I was chatting to him as well during it. How brave was I? What a brave little soldier. And, um, and I was sort of saying, oh, right, how many of these have you got to do? And he said, oh, eight, I think, on that day. And that's all they do. And I kept thinking, do you know, surgery is brilliant. Surgery is absolutely brilliant. But there was one point where I was lying there and I breathed particularly heavily. I just went... Like, he went, don't breathe heavily, <laughs> don't breathe heavily. He said, because it moves the equipment. Or so, and I went, oh, right. So I then went into panic. But he said, no, he said, your, your blood pressure's fine. They, they monitor everything all the way through. There must have been, I should imagine, seven people in there. Two people hiding behind a window. They were obviously monitoring all your heartbeat and all the rest of it. But uh, I did think at one point, I thought, and I, I have asked on two occasions. I felt a bit stupid asking it, really. I kept saying, have you lost anybody during one of these operations? <laughs> you know, has anybody just sort of keeled over and had a heart attack or something like that? But uh, they haven't. So that kind of gave me a bit of, bit of hope. And, um, and it was all in all, it was just good. It was just good. My boss is delighted. He said, oh, we'll, we'll have you for a few more years. I thought, well, that's quite nice, you know. I want it in writing, of course. I'm not prepared to accept anything on a telephone. I should have recorded it, shouldn't I? Yes, I'm more than happy to stay another few more years. But everybody's been really nice. And so thank you for your, for your texts and, uh, and your good wishes and everything else. I mean, seriously, it, it's, it's very pleasing and it's quite nice. To get back into it, actually, we've not done too bad. 5, 5.20, we're still going. We haven't even looked at the papers yet. Because they, uh, they wanted to speak to me during the week, but unfortunately I was, uh, my sleeping has been a bit all over. I'm sleeping, but I was a bit all over the place the other day. So we will take your texts and emails, 84850steve at lbc.co.uk. And uh, we shall try and take everything in. We'll go through the papers. Oh, there's some stories. Oh, there's some stories. Some are good. Some are bad. The, the, there's a lot about Harry, Prince Harry who says he considered quitting the royal role. I think what he did, he went through a phase where he'd had enough. And, you know, if you're under the spotlight, and we know he's lost his temper a few times, we've seen it happening. Um, and I think he's also complained, hasn't he, about being 12 and having to walk behind his mother's coffin. I don't think anybody should be made to do that. But the trouble is, if you're in the royal family, they go, that's what you're doing, and that's what you're doing. I noticed that at one point, if you watch the service back again and the cortege, I think you'll find Prince Philip puts his arms around his shoulder. He was 12 years old. You're following your mother's coffin. I mean, that cannot be the easiest thing to do. So Jeremy Corbyn turns up at Glastonbury. But that's middle class territory. You know, if you want, if you want working class, you go to the Isle of Wight Festival. Glastonbury's full of lucinders and primroses and honeysuckle and, um, and sort of posh people going there with designer wellies. You could see them at the station. They're all kind of, OK, yeah, so we're doing this in the halls. You know, and people go off there because it's quite expensive. He thought he was preaching to a council estate. There were nobody from council estates there. It's a few hundred quid a time. Nobody can afford to do that. You've only got to look at the groups on there and all the people going, yeah, yeah. You only have to look at the people to realise these are not the people who are going on to Love Island. 
anytime soon. They won't be appearing on reality shows because their parents have sent them sent them to Cheltenham Ladies College and stuff like that. They're going to be they're going to be doctors and they're going to be sort of terribly terribly wonderful people. I'm not saying if you're on a council estate you can't be a doctor, but they're certainly not going to be council estate people who go to Glastonbury. It's more middle class than Ascot. Ascot is more chav than you've ever seen. Have you ever been on? Have you been to Ascot? Have you seen the people there? What? What? That's Ascot. It's all market traders. They go there because they're having a bit of a knees up and everything else. There was a punch up the other day. But Ascot, a punch up. And then, just to add insult to injury, they're doing this sort of, because it's, it's a bit of a freebie, I think, for ITV or the BBC, whoever covers the blooming thing. I don't know. It's very dreary. Horses, you know, exceeding the speed limit and people betting, gambling, very bad for you. And, um, and, then, and, and then in she hove interview. Oh, what? It's only old Kelly Brook, isn't it? Kelly Brook's there because, like, she knows all about horse racing. And, uh, well, she knows about old nags anyway. And so she was, she was there. So they, they did a rather turgid, boring interview. They couldn't find anybody else. And then at one point, they cut the camera to her boyfriend, who's French, who couldn't be bothered to have a shave. His tie was half undone. He looked like he was three quarters wrecked. And there's a picture in a few of the papers of Kelly Brook. And you think to yourself, what in God's name did Senator Ascot for? Some very badly dressed people. They've allowed people to sort of go in wearing... It won't be long before the men are allowed to wear shorts. Seriously. Very chabby. That's why the Queen never gets out of the carriage. Hello, 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 poor people. Hello, hello, hello. Get me out of this. Get me out of this as quick as possible. And then the um, Prince Andrew went, uh, who apparently is still air-miling it around the world. He doesn't have a job. He's just air-miling it around the world. Seems to be indicative of his side of the family, doesn't it, really? Uh, Robbie Williams has offered to help out uh, Aunt McPartland in rehab. And the owner of a haunted pub has launched an X-rated rant at, um, at ghosts. Which is to explain to you, Popsikins, there are no ghosts. OK, you do not have a haunted pub. There's no ghosts there. There's no people walking through walls or nothing else. It's in your imagination. All right. Let's leave it at that, shall we? You've had enough airtime. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, and Stephanie Davis. Not, I'm doing a break. I'm telling people about Stephanie Davis. Apparently, she's had to call the police in. A sex tape has been leaked online. I can't help feeling, you know, I've preached this a million times. If you don't want anything leaked online, don't make it in the first place, OK? You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. It's so exciting. Have we put it in the diary? Six months to Christmas. Six months to Christmas. Get those trees ready. Get your baubles out and uh, start testing the fairy lights because that's what happens, isn't it, at Christmas? Unless, of course, you don't celebrate Christmas, in which case you're, you're going to be missing the excitement of a Christmas tree. Uh, loads of welcome backs and things like that. Thank you very much indeed. Very nice indeed. And uh, Phil says, uh, you picked it up in seconds. Such a pro. I know. I, I remember going away on a holiday some years ago. And I came back from holiday. And I, I remember doing the programme and starting the programme and thinking, what do I do? I couldn't quite remember what I, what I did. I knew how basically how the programme went, but I couldn't quite remember how to sort of put it into any order. Anyway, uh, all the staff at King's College in Denmark Hill a and I had a very funny turn, says Phil, and now home safe. Oh, that's nice. That's, well, it's nice being home safe. I always think the safe bit is the, uh, is the nice bit, isn't it, really? But uh, anybody else going in for, for sort of stents and anything like that, good luck. Good luck. It'll be absolutely fine. It will be nice and easy. And uh, and you will emerge the other end a different person. It's like being given your life back. I know it sounds really odd, and I'm, I'm sure that's the very the very basics that you could ever come down to. But it is like all of a sudden you're a different person. You feel like you could do different. I mean, I'm not saying I could jump on the desk and then jump off into the air, going da da, you know, doing that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not as mad as that that kind of uh, thing. It's just you know, it's sort of 
it's sort of, it's good. It's good, you know, when you have an operation and you suddenly come out of it, and I, I thank the consultant and I thank the, uh, the, uh, the, the surgeon, and I said, you know, you've got no idea probably what you do for people. And it's on the, I think the NHS is brilliant. I know that they're suffering with cuts, and I think after Brexit, they're, they're saying in the paper today, we could be 17,000 down because uh, that's how many people are working in the NHS. The two, two of the Spanish uh, nurses we had in the, in the little ward, it's only got six beds in it, three one side and three, three the other, separated by a wall. And, um, and uh, one of them was saying that there's hardly any work in Spain at the moment, so over here. And then I think one of the Italian male nurses, he was, over, he was just doing work experience, not work experience, but he was in to do some freelance cover, and they said, look, you can come back and do as much as you want. They've got loads of work there because they're doing this five days a week. Five days a week. Um, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, you two are rocking all the way to the bank. In four weeks, they've taken in 48 million quid. 48 million. I never liked you two. <laughs> I was never a fan of them. You only know the Joshua Tree. I don't know anything else. Oh, Colleen Rooney's on holiday again. The more she stays away, the happier we all are, to be honest with you. It's nothing to do with us if she goes on holiday. It doesn't really matter, does it? If she wants to go, she can spend all, all year on holiday. I couldn't care less. It's only a bit like Sarah Ferguson and the, and the two ghastly daughters and Andrew. Uh, also, the holiday bug scam. You know, lots of people going, and going oh, I was really sick for, and claiming money. Uh, now a lot of hotels are blocking the British from the best deals, saying we're, we're, we're used to people lying. And there was a woman the other day, did you see this in the paper? I had to, I sort of, uh, I didn't cut it out. But I was interested in the story that concerned a... Um, oh, where's it gone? Come back. Come back. Oh, no, it's gone again. Oh, blimey, honestly. What's going on here now? And it was a story of a, uh, of a woman who went to um, a Carvalitas. You know, is that what they call them? Carvalitas? Where, where they sort of... They look after your, uh, your car and everything else and clean it all. Anyway, this particular woman uh, goes and she gets her car valeted. And I thought, OK, fine, that's OK. That's, I'm not too, too worried about getting car valeted. But no, she claims that the person valeting it uh, tripped her up. And so she fell and uh, she claimed, I think, £130,000 in damages and also £70,000 uh, for, uh, for, for damages to herself. So, it was, so one was, you know, for stress and breaks this and breaks that and all, all the rest of it and um, anyway she goes into court and um, and the judge the judge says you're lying he says I don't believe a word of it I do not believe a word of it so uh, she's she's thrown out of court but he finds her wait for this 70,000 quid 70,000 pounds she goes there to try and get 70,000 pounds and um, and she ends up um, having to pay £70,000. Uh, I'll find her name, actually, a little bit later on, because I, I lost it in the phone. It sort, of, uh, it sort of vanished itself very, very quickly. But I was quite pleased, actually. Somebody said to me, you're going to love that story, aren't you? I said, well, I don't like people cheating people. And also to go to a car wash, you know, for, you know, for want of a better description, it's an upmarket car wash, and, um, and then sort of make, make up lies about them. And so she's been, she was caught out. So that's good, isn't it? Hope you have to flog everything and uh, cough up the 70 grand or put you in prison, dear. It's as simple as that. Uh, also, Stephanie Davis. Oh, I'm so bored with Stephanie. You've had your five minutes of fame, dear. Sod off, please. She blasts Marnie Simpson's comments from being below the belt. Oh, news. God, I knew there was something. See, you let me chat away like that. It's not my fault. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Oh, 
sorry. Uh, I'm just thinking out loud. Guess who turned up at Glastonbury? Still wearing his tea cosy hat. Yes, Davy Boy Beckham with Brooklyn. The one with the dreadful book about photographs. Have you seen how much it's been panned in the press? Worst thing they've ever seen. Amateurish. Badly taken. As somebody described it, they said, this is the sort of book that comes back with stickers on it saying, uh, this is how you take a better picture. Do you remember when you used to get them back from Boots, the chemist, years and years ago? They put a sticker on it going, it's out of focus. You haven't focused the camera, dipstick. And so that's, that's what Brooklyn's picture. They're the worst pictures ever. But there again, never let it be said that the, uh, that the Beckhams actually have any talent for doing anything. You know, when Dad models pants and whiskey. And um, uh, what else? Yeah, and, and that's it. And she wanders around the world in a bit of a bit of a sort of a state. And uh, and Brooklyn just wanders around not doing anything. So he gets down and knuckles down doing college. He needs to go to college to learn how to take photographs. Very embarrassing. Uh, a friend of mine the other day, he lives in um, lives in this little house. Uh, it's very nice indeed. Two doors away. They had to call the police. There was an orgy going on. No, an orgy. I mean, in this day and age, in this heat, an orgy. Anyway, the neighbours are at it again. He just sent me a text. He said the neighbours are at it again. I mean, I've never heard anything like it. You need to make official complaints. They'll be renting, of course. And um, and you, you have to sort of get these things sorted out. You imagine things like that in this day and age. You never know who's living two doors away from you, do you? I don't get anything like that at all. All my neighbours just go and water plants. Actually, I was out wa- watering this morning at about half past uh, one, which was good. Uh, what else we got? Oh, yes, the tower block cladding. All the papers, everybody talking about it on LBC. The build, 34 buildings fail the fire safety test. So, in other words, had we not had the fire at Grenfell House, they wouldn't have been testing all these tower blocks. They just would have been sitting there, a death trap. 34 buildings have failed the fire test. So they obviously don't check on a, on a regular basis, which I thought they would have to, but they obviously don't. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, rain descends on Glastonbury. Good. But uh, it's, you know, people like it. They seem to be fairly happy with things like that. I've never been, actually, and I wouldn't be remotely interested in going to Glastonbury. Not my sort of thing at all. Big Brother fans furious. Have you seen the Big Brother fans? My God, they are odd. I've seen them sitting on the little bit extra on the side. Most of them look like they should be in homes or something like that. Perhaps they've been taken out from homes and brought there. Uh, also, um, who's this footballer? Is it Dele Alley? Dele Alley? Dele, anyway. But uh, he has a girlfriend. She's called Ruby May. Ruby May's model. You know what sort of model she is when you can see the fake hair. And um, she was in Ibiza with a photographer showing off her bottom. That's obviously about as classy as she gets. So she's, uh, she's currently lapping up the sunshine on the Balearic Island. And uh, they, they call her Rubes. I bet they do. But uh, little Ruby May. Little Ruby May. Honestly, anybody called Ruby May is never a serious model. They're sort of what's commonly known as glamour models. For glamour model, read basically. They just get their boobs out and their bums out. They don't really care, actually. Uh, Lisa Appleton, covered in bandages, tucking into a barbecue sausage. There's something the matter with Lisa Appleton. I don't. Aren't they part of the Appleton sisters? They're both a bit mad, aren't they? It's fruitcakes. Uh, also, Fat Boy Slim, headling, headlining Glastonbury. Dean Gaffney, banned from driving. It's funny, old Dean Gaffney, he's only just gone back to EastEnders, already he's been in court. Well, he couldn't be bothered to turn up in court, so he's been banned from driving for nine months. You know why? Because he wouldn't say who was behind the wheel of his car when it was caught speeding. Oh, that'd be a tough one, wouldn't it, Dean? So, I mean, was I there, was I not there? I don't Oh, I can't remember, was I driving, was I not driving, who was driving? I don't... Fancy not remembering things like that. Not a good start to going back into EastEnders, is it, pal? But anyway, he was caught last uh, uh, January. Like... Lu- January 2016. 
He pleaded not guilty to the charge of failing to give police information when he wouldn't name the driver. He later failed to attend the, uh, the trial, requested an adjournment. He told the court he couldn't attend because of his work commitments. Oh, that's kind of tough, isn't it, dear? God, blimey, found guilty. £1,000 fine. That little fee that you've just been handed by EastEnders is just going in your fine, matey, isn't it, really? I don't know what's the matter with these people. I really don't know. Oh, and uh, somebody's got married. Somebody from Jacqueline Josser with that ghastly, nasty little thug of a boyfriend. And they got married in, surprisingly, Gary Barlow's old house. It's worth about £9 million. He's a canny boy. He's a canny boy. He really is. And, um... Apparently, what else do I have? Oh, yes, there was a... Did you watch that, um... The Full Monty thing? Where did they find those ugly people from? The whole idea about the Full Monty is it's supposed to be sort of, you know, people... It, it was... Dom... Not who was on it. I can't remember actually who was on it. Dom Littlewood was on it. I mean, God in heaven, who booked him? That's like I was looking at the new Bake Off. Have you got the Bake Off line-up? The new celebrity Bake Off or something. They, they gave us a line-up of, of, of who's actually appearing on the programme. Not that I follow the show. I want you to understand. I'm not remotely interested in the show. I'm more interested in the celebrities who get booked for things like that. Because I'm as intrigued as the next person as to how you get booked. Especially as some of them are the, the same people who've turned up on loads of other things. And I always, I always get slightly depressed thinking, perhaps they can't find anybody. And uh, here we go. Oh, no, sorry. It's not this one. This must be the um, the other one, the new Bake Off lineup of winning recipe. Uh, is that the one there? Sandy Toxley. No, that's that's on that's on the other one, isn't it? Perhaps it's not called the Great British Bake Off with Prue Leith. This is the one with um, uh, John Tarode and um, the other one. I can't remember, actually. John Tarode and what's it? Perhaps it's not called the Bake Off. What's it called now? It's where people go on to it. Anyway, that are most peculiar. It's got Rachel Stevens on it. Rachel Stevens? <laughs> Blimey, honestly, we've scraped the barrel, haven't we? She was in S Club 7 many years ago. She's about 90 by now. And so she's going to be... I know that she's doing it. Here we go. OK, we've got the full line-up. OK, right. So it's Rachel... Wait a minute. The full... Celebrity MasterChef. OK, right. Make a big deal about it. OK, first one off. Rebecca the Boar Adlington. Oh, my Godfathers. Can't you get anything else, dear? OK. Abdullah Afsal. OK. No. Angelica Bell. What? And she did CBBC about 500 years ago. Uh, Reverend Kate Bockley. That's the one from Gogglebox. God, blimey, dear. Shouldn't it be attending to your flock as opposed to doing this naff, silly celebrity thing? Brian Bovell. Coronation Street and Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. No. Tiger Drew Honey, presenter. Only one programme, darling. Let's not make a big deal about it. That's the one whose father's the porn star, Lindsay Honey. And also Tiger Drew himself has paraded himself on the internet. Thank you very much indeed. Leslie Garrett. <gasps> She's going to drive everybody mad. <laughs> That's all she does all the time. <laughs> Seriously, she could be face down in the batter mix by the end of the day. Uh, Dev Griffin. BBC Radio 1 presenter. I'm sorry, Dev. We have no idea who you are. Very sweet. Uh, Barney Harwood, Blue Peter co-host. Well, he must be about 40 by now, isn't he? He was on CBBC when the producer was a kid. And the producer's only 12. Stephen Hendry. Oh, God, he's boring. Jamie Hensley. Spelt J-A-Y-M-I from Union J. Is that the gay one? I can't remember. There was a gay one and there was a not a gay one. and I can't remember it. But, uh, no, so Jamie's on there as well. Obviously, need to top up the cof uh, coffers. Uh, Ulrika Johnson, 
Henry Leconte, former tennis player. Debbie McGee, TV personality. And re- they always put that down, don't they? They always put TV personality as opposed to non-personality. It's like luxury flats. It's when they can't think of anything else to put, isn't it? Nick Moran. I quite like Nick Moran. I can't need the money, can he? Vic Reeves. Julia Somerville, journalist and newsreader. And uh, Rachel Stevens, S Club 7 singer. That was years ago, dear. She's not done anything since then. Not done anything since then. I know stories about Rachel Stevens. I shall wait till the programme establishes itself before I, before I give of them. Tell you who I did on um, Friday. No, I can't have done it Friday, can I? I must have done it Tuesday. I did uh, Jerry Halliwell as was. And uh, she's going to be, she's on In Conversation. It played out Saturday morning. Because there was no best of Steve Allen, so we got four celebrities. That was a nice little lineup, actually. We're very pleased. And um, and so Andrew Morton talking about the Diana book, and uh, and Jerry Horner, Jerry Halliwell as was both cracking interviews. Nine o'clock this evening. Nine. If you're fans uh, of either of them, if you're a Diana fan, you'll want to hear Andrew Morton, whose daughter is a regular listener to this program. She works in a hotel, I think, the Corinthian. Down the road from here. And uh, Jerry Horner. Tiny. Tight. Seriously. I felt enormous. There was a picture we put up on the internet. I just, I looked like sort of three beach huts next to her. There's nothing of her. Seriously, nothing. But a really, really good chat with both. Really, really, really good chat. Nine o'clock this evening. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have your company. Twelve minutes to six. It's Sunday. And yesterday was... Oh, there was Forces Day. We'd, oh, we've been so busy, haven't we? So busy. But what, what I want, what I'm praying for, is a month of just easy going. Just easy going. Let's just wander through summer, please. I don't want anything else. I really don't want anything else. I think we've had, we've had too much, haven't we? Uh, you can always tell when somebody's done a dreary old fitness DVD because they drone on about it and then try and tell you that, you know, they've struggled with their weight all their life. And so here's Jessica Wright, another member of the dreary Wright family. Revealing how she lost weight and toned up. Yeah, because she's flogging a fitness programme. As I said to you before, do not ever waste your time and money on so-called third-rate celebrity fitness things. Go to your doctor, get a diet sheet, do exercise. Walking. Walking. You don't need to do anything else. You really don't. You know, and they sort of... It's the rubbish. You, You can tell the air of desperation in Jessica Wright's little interview in a magazine when uh, she's now classed as a businesswoman. A businesswoman. But she says here, yes, I'm quite a career-driven person. She's sadly still single, of course. (laughs) I'd like to do more in television and some more reality TV shows. I want to do some charity work and keep doing my fitness and clothing. The rubbish they spout these people. Honestly, perhaps they believe this guff. Perhaps they seriously believe it. Actually, very embarrassing. My my 13-year-old goddaughter said to me the other day, she's, she was going to a party the other night, and uh, one of the boys in, I think, her, her class, who's also 13, turns out to be a listener to this programme. And uh, apparently doesn't sleep. And so he said to, he said to my, uh, my goddaughter, he said, is your uncle, that one who's on the radio on LBC in the early hours, is he, does he take the mickey out of people? And she went, yes. <laughs> Left it at that, it was so much easier. We went to Onga yesterday for lunch, which was quite nice. I had a nice little poodle down the motorway. I like a poodle. I like motorway poodling. I'm always very good at it. So here's the, here's the story. Here's the story. I mean, this one was a gift. Even Zora Suleiman said, have you seen the front page of The Sun on Sunday? I said, as luck would have it, I have. And this is uh, EastEnders' Danny Dyer had a secret affair with... 
Anyway, this particular person believed that Dyer was single when he seduced her, but later learned he had a long-term partner. She must be particularly, particularly not in the loop, this person, because everybody knows about Danny Dyer's long-term partner. Everybody knows about her. Anyway, a, a pal of this person that he obviously had a fling with says she feels betrayed. Who is it? Who do you think it is? Come on. Come on. Should we play Guess the Non-Entity Celebrity? OK, I'll give you a clue. OK, she was in a, a movie that, uh, that flopped and only took £600. She's been actress, singer, sort of, uh, failed at everything so far. She's been, you know, face down in the gutter. She's had uh, a lot of the... She's caned it. I think that's the expression. She's caned it before, which means that you go out and you lig. In other words, you go to all these parties and you neck all this booze and all the rest of it. And uh, she was in a St Trinian's film. She went into Coronation Street. She's always, she's always sold dreary stories about her, about her existence and how she's going to be this and that. And they got rid of her from Coronation Street because she was so awful. She was so dreadful. Uh, I think uh, Run For Your Wife uh, she was in as well. Um, and that, uh, that, that flopped. Uh, really didn't go well. How she doesn't know, to be honest with you, that Danny Dyer's got a long-term partner, I've got no idea. No idea. Because everybody knows Danny Dyer has got a long-term partner. Anyway, uh, they claimed that... Uh, somebody's claimed that they had a, she had a six-week fling with him. A six-week fling. Uh, her uh, people yesterday refused to comment. I, don't, I never understand that. I, I, I know I read these stories all the time, and I'm as fascinated by them as you are. I'll tell you who she is in a moment. But... Um, it's a case of, why would you refuse to comment? Either you had a six-week fling with him, or you didn't. If you didn't, then say you didn't. If you did, well, then presumably you're getting ready to sell your side of the boring story. Woman has affair with man for six weeks. Man who has relationship. I don't think there's anything unusual in that. Men are constantly, you know, having extracurricular away from their relationships, married or girlfriend or otherwise. Guess who the girl is in question? Little Miss Publicity Hungry herself. Sarah Harding, I'm afraid. <laughs> Poor Sarah Harding. So, you know, here she is. She's apparently gutted. I mean, she's over 30. How people can still be gutted over... I mean, how could she not know? I could ask the cat her door down from where I live and say to it, I'm sorry, do you know that Danny Dyer's got a partner? Yes, had her for years, years and years and years. But, uh, Sarah Harding was seduced. She fell in lust, apparently. She believed he was single and living with his father. Sarah's now 35. I mean, she's, she's seriously, she's about the age of a 12-year-old. I mean, she doesn't seem to know anything. But never mind, it's given her a bit of much-needed publicity because, I mean, basically she's gone off the boil and off the radar, I think, at the moment. But that's the... Uh, and also, they keep saying Girls Aloud star. That was years ago. Years ago. So she had a fling with Danny Dyer. So they say. Does it matter? Who knows? Dave says, were Prince Andrew's useless daughters wearing funny hats at Ascot? Well, one of them was. The other one went off to Glastonbury. Because they're really hard-working, aren't they? They really contribute so much to the royal family. No, they don't. <laughs> I love saying that all the time. I always find it very, you know, it's, I, I don't see you have to be nice to somebody. I didn't elect them. You know, I'm a big fan of the Queen, big fan of Prince Philip. You know, I mean, to a certain extent, I can go for Charles and I can go for Harry and William and Kate. Not remotely interested in Pippa the Boar Middleton. Really couldn't care less about her. Uh, Princess Anne I quite like. Uh, don't like Zara Phillips. Uh, don't like her husband. He just does reality show and fails on those. Uh, like Princess Anne, very, very busy, very popular. And there's a few other members of the royal family. But as for Andrew, the boring sisters and the ex-wife, I mean, please, spare me again. Spare me again. 
Uh, holiday hell for mum. This is uh, a story which is uh, is quite frightening, actually, on the Sunday people. Uh, she was lured into a sex attack trap. One of these very good reasons that, you know, you've got to be so careful when you go abroad. People just sort of think it's, you know, you just go abroad and you trust people. Unfortunately, they're even less trustworthy abroad than they are over here. Uh, Kelly Brook goes to the races. Again, pfft, don't let her talk. Seriously bad news. And Brooklyn Beckham slammed for his terrible pictures and captions after releasing a photo book. I mean, dig who in earth in their right mind is going to be buying that? Seriously, come on. If you're a, if you're a photographer... You're going to be going, it's so awful. I mean, it really is. It's just, they're, they're just not good pictures. Not good pictures at all. Oh, and then Corbyn turns up. And, of course, he, he'll do anything now. While he's on a roll, he'll do anything. I was quite intrigued to hear somebody phoning up earlier on. I think he might have been a student uh, who voted Labour. The reason being that Corbyn was going to wipe off their, their debts. And how do you think that's going to happen, dear? How do you think? Seriously, I love you. See, I can I can say, and every day you're going to have vanilla ice cream. You know, it's as ridiculous. You've never had any answer of where Corbyn thinks he's going to fund this. So students will not have debts. You know, the unemployed will be given more money. Will be de- where's it coming from? Where's it coming from? We can all do sound bites. We can all, but you've got to be realistic. But this bloke was so naive. He voted Labour because he thought that his student debts were going to be written off. And who's going to pay them, dear? What, we're just... The money's going to come from where? Why don't people think properly? You know, if I ever hear politicians, how do you know when they're lying? Their lips are moving. That's how it works. They tell fibs. They know that to get the young vote, well, we're going to write off your student debt. What, you're going to be educated for free? I don't think so. I don't think so. But as I say, once he's come up with a brilliant wheeze, perhaps he's going to tax the rich. (gasps) Wow, I'd love to know how much uh, Mr Corbyn's house is worth. Probably a lot more than you imagine. So anyway, so he pootles off down to Glastonbury, where, you know, I mean, of course they're applauding him. They're drunk. It's a drunk crowd. They would have applauded a seal on the stage. Not the seal, but a seal. And so they get pictures of Corbyn and an old man putting his arm around students. We'd be inappropriate, but there you go. That's what people do nowadays when they're politicians and have a picture taken and they try and pretend they're in touch. And he does this bizarre speech. This bizarre speech. The reason he did this bizarre speech is because the audience are so middle class. They're the only ones who ever would have understood it. There's other people there. What's he on about? What's he talking about? I don't know. But he's one of us, isn't he? He's one of us. Do you want to hear what the little bit of this speech was? This is what it sounded like. What was fascinating about the last seven weeks of election campaigning around Britain is, do you know what? The commentariat got it wrong. The elites got it wrong. That politics is about the lives of all of us. And the wonderful campaign that I was involved with, that I was so proud to lead, brought a lot of people back into politics because they believed there was something on offer for them. But what was even more inspiring was the number of young people who got involved for the very first time. Because they were fed up with being denigrated, fed up with being told they don't matter, fed up with being told they never participate, and utterly fed up with being told that their generation was going to pay more to get less in education, in health, in housing, in pensions, and everything else. 
that they should accept lower wages, they should accept insecurity, and they should see it as just part of life. Well, it didn't quite work out like that, did it? And you know what? That politics that got out of the box is not going back in any box because we're there demanding and achieving something very different in our society and in our lives. Hey, have another drink. Oh, whoa! And then he pulled drinks at the bar, which was good. But, you know, he's... he's I mean, to be honest with you, if you bought tickets to go to Glastonbury, you'd be going, excuse me, is this a party political broadcast or are we here to watch some groups? The idea is you go to Glastonbury, so you're with your chums, because you've all been to, like, Eton and places like that. And, you know, we're all living in a yurt. And, and it's all... And uh, have you seen some of the posh nosh they sell down there? If it was working class, you'd have pie and mash. I don't think there's anybody doing pie and mash down there. And so he preaches to a crowd of drunks who really get, get off. And then they start shouting this Corbyn thing. It was really odd. It was almost... Even when he wasn't even on stage, it was almost as if it was orchestrated. And people turned up with banners. Well, they hand it, it's like Big Brother. If you go to Big Brother, they give you a banner. Oh, there's a banner. I just hold that banner up there. And, you know, and the chanting goes like this. It's like being at a football match, isn't it, with a bunch of yobs. The trouble is they're all middle class and they're all off their trolleys. Come on, have, an, have, this, have another puff of that. You know, that's what they're all like. Ridiculous. News at six coming up very, very shortly. And uh, as I say, people love Glastonbury, don't they? It's, I, I couldn't go. It doesn't enter. And now it's turned into some party political message. Who the hell wants to go there? What's you've paid for the privilege of having to listen to politicians? I'm surprised the Lib Dems didn't jump on the... Oh, wait a minute. Who's leading the Lib Dems? Oh, they haven't got anybody. Uh, so they couldn't go down there, could they? BBC too blind dated for gays. Paul O'Grady says it wouldn't happen on the Beeb. And um, who knows? Oh, and Boris Becker might have split from his... Uh, his wife, girlfriend, and who are the women who front the illegal puppy trafficking industry? What a piece of filth they are, ladies and gentlemen. Named in all the papers. Oh, just who you thought it might have been as well. And Powell's rallying round troubled Ant McParkland. He will bounce back. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Sunday, 25th of June. Weather iffy today. Iffy. I think that I don't mind it being a little bit rainy on a Sunday. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't mind. I've had enough of the sunshine. Uh, seriously, when I came out of surgery, because the operating theatre, because in case you hadn't noticed, <laughs> I've had surgery, and, uh, and the operating theatre was air-conditioned, not ice-cold, not like, like, like in here, which is lovely, and, um, and all I wanted was an ice lolly. Isn't that funny? The simple things in life, you know, a 50-pence ice lolly could have kept me happy. So I come out of surgery, and I'm in the ward, and you then have to wait six hours after you've had the surgery just to make sure that you're... You know, everything's tickety-boo and your blood pressure's right and the blood sugars and all the rest of it. So, so we do that. And um, then my friend Lynn came to collect me and she said, she had better brace yourself. She said, it's quite hot outside. I said, OK, fine, I'm fine. As long as I don't exert myself, I don't sort of, I don't get too upset in the heat. I don't like being in the heat, but I, I try not to exert myself. So anyway, I go downstairs and I've got a, a big shop in the hospital. I thought, I'll buy myself, and that'll be my treat, an ice lolly. I don't sell ice lollies. You could have made a fortune if you'd had, literally, somebody cycling round the wards with some ice lollies. You could have made a fortune, an absolute fortune. So I didn't get my ice lolly. But it was sweltering, absolutely sweltering. So, in fact, we've had so many days which are, which are lovely. It's great if you enjoy the heat. I don't enjoy the heat. I can just about cope with it, but I just can't, I can't get to grips. I don't want to sit in the heat. I'd rather sit indoors. And, of course, I tried to buy another fan the other day. 
and uh, and I thought I'll go back to Costco. So you can't drive for two days after the operation. There's all these restrictions placed on you. But anyway, so I thought I'll go to Costco because they had loads the uh, literally two or three days before. Well, they were all gone. The moment you get hot weather, you can't buy fans because the, the moment the, the weather turns for rain, there will be fans everywhere. It's like the middle of winter. You try buying sunglasses in the middle of winter. And people say, no, it, it's, it's middle of winter. And you go, yeah, hello? <laughs> what difference would that make? Actually, luckily, I don't need any sunglasses. Uh, did you see, says James on the Isle of Wight, the rubbish, the remake of The Crystal Maze? I didn't. I used to love The Crystal Maze. I thought it was really good, actually. I thought The Crystal Maze was very clever. I like that. What was the other programme I liked that was quite similar to that? Because didn't um, Edward Tenpole Tudor do it? Uh, Richard O'Brien did Crystal Maze. He was very good, very good. But uh, from, uh, from Ian, who says, I had my second lot of stents at the Royal Free in Hampstead. Consultant, who was a spitting image of James Robertson Justins, came round just before I was uh, discharged. They have to do that. After a brief chat about making lifestyle changes, he very bluntly said, next time for you, it's the knife mimicking Sir Lancelot Spratt. If I see you again, it'll be for open heart surgery, he said. I changed. Yeah, I mean, I've been told, you know, I've got uh, a few more years yet. He didn't say how many years, he just said a few more years, which could be anything, couldn't it, between sort of two and 20, I suppose, really. Uh, what did the butler get? What did the butler get? Whose butler would that be? There is a, a famous lady. Uh, she turned out to be the stepmother of Princess Diana, Rain Spencer. She was called Acid Rain. And she was the daughter of Barbara Cartland, daughter of Barbara Cartland. So interesting. She left to her chauffeur. She left an estate worth about five million pounds. Not bad, is it, really? Uh, eight million before tax, five million after tax. I never understand that bit. I'd be having my spirited away, send it to another planet or something like that, handing all this money over to people. I'm far too mean to hand it over to the government. And so she got five million left to her chauffeur, to her, sorry, her, her, her butler. She left 75,000 and the rolls. I mean, he'll be selling that straight away, won't he? Actually, I went to a garden centre the other day. Down the road from me, and it's quite a nice little garden centre. I bought a few things in there, but the one thing I noticed in their fridge, they do banana lollies, and I love banana lollies. So I went in there the other day, and I was just wondering. I thought, I know what to do. I'll go and buy a banana lolly, then I can wander around eating a banana lolly. In the end, I had two. And uh, when I, I went through the tills, I bought a couple of little plants, and there was a woman who obviously works in there, which might own it, I don't know. And she said to me, she said. Because she'd already said to me about plants. There was a lovely plant outside. I said, lovely. I said, but I'd probably kill it off. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm good with most things. I said, but that I would kill off. And as we came out, she was standing. She said, I bet that's your car over there, pointing to my car. And I went, it is, you know. She said, and I bet it's got air conditioning. I said, it has. It's <laughs> one of these bizarre conversations. Anyway, poor old um, Barbie. Barbie's Ken. Poor old Barbie's Ken. Mattel have decided to change his image. So he doesn't look as plastic as he did before, which, of course, is lovely for, uh, for lovers of Ken, who always looked slightly camp. At one point, poor Barbie had a boyfriend who looked like somebody out of the village people. He had a little moustache on, a Hawaiian shirt and a pair of shorts. I mean, please. And then we had that poor creature who used to be a trolley dolly up in the sky, and now he have uh, surgery to look like Ken. Well, he doesn't look at all like Ken. He never looked like Ken when he had the surgery. He's a rather sort of freakish sort of person who turns up for, you know, it's just a photo. You feel a bit sorry for him, really. Because, you know, when people have had surgery, they think in their mind's eye they look great. To the rest of us, they just look peculiar. And he looks very, very peculiar. Um, 
Love Island? I think not. Talking to my friend about it earlier on, actually, Rich, and we both agreed that it was just full of, full of naff people, and all they can talk about is sex. I mean, listen, it's, I think it's all well and good to talk about sex, but it always means if you're talking about it, you're not getting it. And these people go on Love Island. What a, I mean, what a bunch of degenerates. It's a bit like watching Big Brother. It's full of degenerates. They don't have, and nobody talks about what work anybody does on the outside because basically nobody seems to have a job. They're all just bimbos, and that's the men. And, uh, and then you've got these ghastly women with the most foul mouths. I mean, seriously, the language. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not easily shocked by bad language on the television, but these people are just dreadful. Love Island is even worse. What a bunch of no-hopers they turn out to be. Or should we call them desperate people, ladies and gentlemen? Certainly not the sort of people you want living next door to you. That's, uh, that's true. Meatloaf the Musical. I, I said to the producer, I said, oh, Meatloaf the Musical hits the West End. I thought Meatloaf was a group. I mean, he said, and then he, he agreed that maybe he was too young. So, uh, so, of course, we got that. We go down that route every so often on the programme. Just to make the presenter feel slightly older than anybody else, we go down the route of, well, of course, you know, I wasn't born when he had hits. You know, you get that kind of thing. And I have to smile sweetly, you know, as I'm getting the darts out of the package to throw in him as he turns around to go to the photocopier. Fancy saying that. So I sang a couple of songs, you know, Midnight of the Lost and Found, da-da-da. And he looked at me with that glazed look in his eye, like, poor, sad old thing. He goes in to have his surgery. He's come back. He's lost his marbles. He's lost his marbles, poor soul. No, so Meatloaf the Musical is in the West End. Apparently it's quite good, but I love all the songs. You know, Bat Out of Hell, I think, remained on the charts for ages. It was a very, very popular song, but I didn't, uh, I didn't attempt to sing that to him. Like a bat out of hell, I keep on in the morning, so... No, doesn't mean anything, does it? Why did you think it was a group then, for goodness sake? Would have been easier. Of course, of course, if I'd asked him about, you know, other people like Stormzy, he'd have known who Stormzy was, I suppose. Dizzy Rascal, heard of Dizzy Rascal? Good, there you go, you see. I'll eventually find the level in which we can have a conversation about popular beat combos. But at the moment, we're lost, uh, found, I'm afraid. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, Nigel Farage in the paper today. Has he had Botox? Has he had anybody around here know? Yeah, Botox? I don't know. I should ask people. Uh, because it, it's... I don't know why people are interested in whether people have... I have not, incidentally. My looks are entirely natural. Which gives you a rough idea that God must have been playing a hell of a joke on my family when I was born. I was much prettier when I was small. In fact, I think all babies are actually quite attractive. It's only when they grow up that they become awful. And 40 years after his death, we still celebrate the music of Elvis Presley as they bring out uh, albums and they bring out uh, Elvis singing with um, orchestras, which I love. They've just taken the voice track, separated it and put it with an orchestra. Uh, Elvis still tours, so the band are on stage and Elvis is singing, but he's up on the big screen. I mean, it's, it's terribly clever, terribly, terribly clever. And uh, a reality person. OK, reality person, very boring, very dull, uh, bad date, self-loathing and nearly dying. Yes, it's another person about the mental age of about 16 who's decided to do their autobiography because, let's face it, it's going to be all washed up very shortly. And this time it's boring old Charlotte Crosby. I mean, who cares? If they're sticking that boring vicar on, you know, from Gogglebox on the Bake Off thing, the... What are they calling it? I can't remember what they call the programme now. They're not the, the... Anyway, the vicar's doing it. She, MasterChef. She was boring first time round. What a dull person. Well, I mean, at least the vicar of my church had a bit of spark of life to him. She just sits there watching television, so desperate to be famous. Next thing is, she'll be giving up the cloth and appearing on just reality shows. 
bit like Rebecca Adlington, she turned out to be a bit boring as well. And the real-life Cruella de Vils, the women who control the puppy trafficking industry. It's disgusting. They couldn't care less whether these dogs live or die. Seriously, they really are that vile, but it's worth a lot of money. And if something's worth a lot of money, they'll, uh, they'll exploit it. They will exploit it. And that's, that's the bit that drives me mad. 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. Oh, look, picture of Rita Ora again. God, you're boring. Every time I say there's a picture of Rita Ora in the paper, you go, oh, it's Rita Ora in the paper again. You go, doing what? Go, doing nothing. Doing nothing. Did you say, I was right. You know, they did the bridge over troubled water, number one in the charts. Each one gets a line. When you're weary, that's one person. Feeling small, that's another person. When tears are, one person. And so, so it runs through. They all get one little bit, which is good. And uh, what have we got here? Why have we got, um, why have we got an interview with this boring person? This is Maria Connor. Um, she's going to be exposed as a love cheat. Oh, this is Samia Garda, who who was... I think she's married or goes out with that uh, dancer Longchamp bottom bloke. And uh, she says, I'd go mad and rip up Sylvain's suits if he cheated. It's a part you're playing, dear. It's a part. Why do these people get so... They get sort of so drawn into it. The other one as well is on the front cover of TV Life, and it's dreary old Catherine Tildesley. Again, balance doesn't exist... The Corrie actress on Motherhood staying in shape in her latest storyline. It's just a job, darling. You know, how boring are you? Do you think that Dame Judi Dench goes, I'm just doing another part. I think I'll talk about it. Talk about, you know, growing old. Oh, for God's sake, honestly. These people, there must be something the matter with Perhaps they've got screws loose. Perhaps they've got something the matter with them that means that they, they have to go to the papers and sell every aspect of their stories. And yet in poor old Sarah Harding's case, when it turns out that she's apparently, so the papers say, had a fling with Danny Dyer, her spokespeople have got no comment at all. Do you think they'd have had to phone her up and go, Sarah, love? Sarah? Yeah, no, um, the papers are running the story about you and Danny Dyer. Do you have a fling with him? You know he's got a girlfriend, dear. Has he? Yeah. How long did this relationship last? Five weeks. Oh, right. Long term for you, then. And so now they'll wait. I bet you anything. I bet you within the week. Sarah Harding, my story. That's how these people exist. That's how they... I say these people because it's not normal, is it? Can't be normal. Just sort of... You, you live your life. So you have a fling with somebody and then you go and sell the story about having a fling with somebody. <laughs> Small wonder most of these people go into rehab. It's not good, is it, really? It really isn't good. They sort of... They just sort of... They, they, they don't live in the real world. They don't, they don't live in the same world that you and I live. Do you know, when Elvis first sang, I bet you don't know the answer to this question. He first sang at the age of ten in a talent show. He came fifth. Kind of turned it around a little bit, do you not think? Look at this, I'm going to hit the out time. Well, I've missed it already, but I'm just explaining to you. At least it's, you know, for me, it's brilliant. I have to put it down to the fact I'm probably still suffering from the effects of anaesthetic. It's an excuse, but it always works, doesn't it? Quarter past six. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. So funny. There's somebody called Rebecca Jane. You know, you can tell Chav, can't you? Rebecca Jane. Not, not just Rebecca. You know, was spotted with her arm in a sling after being on Big Brother. She's a real-life detective. Woo, scary. She slipped over in the house and injured her arm, but luckily she took a photographer out with her so they can get some pictures of her looking, you know, a little bit sort of vacant. But that's most of the Big Brother contestants, isn't it? They also they have that vacant look about them. And uh, and then, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, I noticed that uh, Charlotte Crosby has lifted the lid on her and Stephen Bear's sex life. Rivetingly exciting. Yes, there's me thinking that perhaps he was doing it with other people, but it turns out they do it outside. 
How lovely, as long as it's an outside my place. I really don't care. Um, also, uh, EastEnders bosses sign up award-winning star a deal worth more than £200,000. Uh, this is uh, a guy called George, George Maguire. Uh, he won an Olivier Award for his role as the Kinks guitarist Dave Davis in Sunny Afternoon. And a soap insider said, everybody at EastEnders is very excited about George joining the cast. Why? Just another actor, isn't he, joining the cast? He was in, you know, he was in the uh, the sunny afternoon. They say he's well-respected in the West End. I have to be brutally honest. I've got to hold my hands up here. I've never heard of him before. I've heard of the musical. He's already on set filming scenes for the coming months and they're hoping that his character is a real hit. Well, they're hardly going to put him in there thinking that he's not. He did go to Italia Conti. And uh, he got Best Supporting... Oh, he got Best Supporting Actor. Oh, not quite the same as Best Actor, is it? And then he went on... Uh, wait a bit. He moved on to another hit show, The Busker's Opera. Anybody on that one? No, me neither, I'm afraid. He's also the front man for the rock band. Oh, we're bound to know this one. Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Anybody on that one? No, we've never heard of that one either. <laughs> oh, God. Why are we supposed to know these things about people? They put it out there like, you know, you th- I mean, I'm in the business. I've been in the business for 40 years and I'm going, I'm sorry, I've never heard of Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. With the best will in the world, I've never even heard of the Busker's Opera. I'd heard of Sunny Afternoon because I'm a big, uh, big fan of the Kinks' music, but I've never even heard of him. And then the EastEnders boss Sean O'Connor left the show earlier this week, because, um, which is very interesting. He's now saying he too has felt bullied and is threatening legal action. Oh my God, fathers! What's the matter with everybody nowadays? Everybody goes mad, don't they? How can you tell if somebody's fibbing? How can you tell? I can tell if the producer's fibbing. Because he never looks me in the eye. He looks away. That's a very good indicator. Apparently, blushing can be a sign. I used to blush when I was younger. I used to have a, a problem with blushing. Some people do. Um, and I remember when I, I went to work in, in retail. And I went to work in this department store. And uh, in my, on my first day, and bearing in mind, I'm only 15. And, you know, at 15, you, do, you go through the blushing phase. But it's made worse by when somebody says you're going red. That makes it twice as bad. So I'm sitting in this little canteen in this department store and all the chairs are all the way round the wall. And I got myself a cheese roll and a cup of tea. And the bloke that uh, was showing me round, I worked with in, in the same department. And of course, if you're new, everybody looks at you. And, and I'm sort of sitting there and somebody's saying, what, what, what's your name? And I go, Stephen. And, which sounded a bit wimpy to start with. You know, I wish I'd come up with something like Bruce and... But I didn't say that at all. I just said Stephen. And um, and so... And then this this friend of mine said to me... He said, we well, said, you're going red. I went, no, I'm not. Because you, you become terribly defensive at 15. And the worst thing was, you can feel your cheeks are burning beyond belief. And you know that you're about to explode because you look like a tomato. By this time, you are practically pulsating in the, in the cheek, cheek department. It was awful. In the end, I had to say, oh, uh, where, where's, where's the toilet? He said, you're really bright red, aren't you? And shut up! Shut up! You're making it worse. It's like, you know, when you sort of get a spot... When you're a boy, to get a spot, and it's always the same, is it? Side of your nose. It'll be between, you know, something that's happened. You've either had stress or your hormones are playing up, whatever it happens to be. And you get a spot, somebody goes, oh, you've got a spot. And you go, am I? And you immediately have to go rushing for them. Oh, it's a nightmare. All these things you have to put up with when you're sort of younger. Luckily, when you get a bit older, it kind of uh, goes away, and I don't blush at all now. But apparently, that's one of the things you look at. If somebody's fibbing to you, blushing can be a sign. Not always, though. Not always. 
And um, it, it was like sort of, you know, odd language. I mean, for that thing, Clinton. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yes, you did. You so did, you silly old man. Of course you did. You know, and also you have to check people's pitch of their voices. You know, voices go squeaky or unnaturally deep. This could prove a problem for, for certain people, couldn't it, really, with squeaky voices. Uh, also, look out for jiggling leg. My mother used to say to me, Stephen, stop, because I sit there and I, my leg's going up and down, you know, like normal. And uh, or failing that, looking at your feet is always an indication. Or, or tapping your fingers on the desk, that's, that's a good thing here. And, and then there's lies that we tell our partners. At number 10, I wasn't looking at her figure or his figure. Number nine, your bum really does not look big in that. Blooming well does. <laughs> Looks enormous. Uh, eight, this isn't a new outfit. You have to pretend, don't you? you have to say that. I can't use number seven. It's rude. It's rude. So I'll do number six, which says, I am sticking to my diet. You know, people say to you, they go, are you sticking to that diet? Yes. Number five is, is a firm favourite. You don't look fat. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Number four. I didn't see your text. That's a very popular one, isn't it? I bet, uh, come on, I bet you listening, you've, most of you use that one. I didn't see the text. Why do you not... You, do you ignore my text? I didn't get it. We'll tell all sorts of things. Uh, number three, very popular one. I only had one drink, said to an officer with a blue flashing light. I had... How many drinks have you had, sir? One. When was that? Uh, just when you stopped the car. I got a bit frightened. Uh, <laughs> number two, I'm not in a bad mood, OK? Because people say, they go, you're in a bad mood. You go, I'm not. They go, yes, you are. And you're temperamental. No, I'm not. You become very defensive. And, the f and my favourite one is, I am listening, OK? We use that one all the time, don't we? I am listening. You're not really. You know, you just say that. You go, I am listening. I like the one about, you know, that seriously, that does not make you look fat. Meaning, of course, it does make you look fat, but you don't like to say that, do you? Because you don't like to... It's like when somebody says... I'm sick to death of people coming on the phone recently. I've heard this recently on LBC. And they go, oh, my first-time caller, I'm a bit nervous. And I feel like saying, well, you've never made a phone call before. What do you mean, first-time caller, you're a bit nervous? Well, holding the receiver up makes you nervous, does it? Go, blimey, honestly. I've heard some people in my time. That people always go there. And they always ask the same question, don't they? If you've heard it once, we used to have a presenter called Mike Dickens. Somebody would say, hello, how are you? And he'd go, I'm fine. And then somebody else would phone up and say, hi, how are you? And he'd go, I refer you to the previous caller. Why should you have to keep explaining this to me? Because when people say to me, how are you? I go, well, let me tell you. It started the other day, OK? And I, I can bore the pants off them in about, about ten minutes quite easily of medication and insulin and injections. and All the usual sort of people go, oh, I wish I'd never asked. So whenever somebody says to me, how are you? I always go, oh, God, I've been terrible. Really, really bad. But I'm, I'm, I'm pulling through slowly but surely. <laughs> I always love it. So the, the advice is, if ever you bump it, please don't ever ask me how I am. Because if I'm upright and I'm breathing, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, Britain's got stars torment on the front of the Sunday Mirror today. This is uh, Susan Boyle is being terrorised by a group of teen thugs. They've uh, pelted her, subjected her to monstrous jibes and started uh, hurling burning paper in her face. What? 
Oh, you have to get the police in, Susan. It's as simple as that. You have to get the police in. That is just absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous that somebody would subject anybody. They pick on the most vulnerable people. It's disgusting. Let's have photographs of them. I mean, they, they threw stones at her on the bus. What for? Because there are some sick people out there. Get them in court. Get them in youth detention. OK, quick as possible. Let's not mess around. You know, if, you've, if, if the papers know about it, the police should know about it. What are they doing? What are they doing about it? Come on, sort it out. Sort it out, please, by next week, if not by Monday. Uh, globe-trotting Colleen Rooney, that's the hardest-working chav in the business, has enjoyed a hat-trick of summer holidays. She's about to head off on two more. But I couldn't care less. If she wants to go on, she can spend all year on holiday. Who cares? It's Colleen Rooney, not remotely bothered. She's married to a footballer who makes about 350,000 quid a week. A week? £350,000. Why would we care if they go on holiday? It's just, it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any difference at all. She can go on holiday. She can stay on holiday as far as I'm concerned. You know, they've got loads of money. She doesn't work. She doesn't know what work is. She's just, you know, footballer's wife. She's had a couple of kids and she just wants to go on holiday. It's great. Do what you want. Don't see why the paper should have to sort of attack you. Oh, look, some very middle-class people at, uh, at Glastonbury. OK, yeah, there's Lucinda and there's Poppy and there's Jasmine and there's Pixie. All middle-class people, all with Jeremy Corbyn. Jinky Sanctuary. Can I come round your house? Have you got a big house? Uh, um, Mumsy and Dadsy lives in the castle. And you can pop round if you want, yes, if you want. He must have had permission, mustn't he, from, uh, from the man who runs Glastonbury to go there and give a speech. But as I say, if I paid to go to Glastonbury, the last thing I'd be expecting is a politician. Whoever it is, I'd be exactly complaining about, um, um, about um, Theresa May turning up. I'm sorry, I'm at a, I'm at a rock for... Go away! Not interested in your ramblings. Both of you, go away. Lib Dems, don't even bother, please. You'll have to start at some point in your life. But as I say, depends whether or not we, we can resurrect Vince Cable. I saw him the other day, actually. Definitely older. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 27 minutes to seven. Andrew Castles with you at seven o'clock this morning for breakfast on uh, LBC. And uh, I quite like... Actually, I told you before that I quite like arguments on air. I like listening to arguments where you get people coming on and sort of having one point of view and somebody else, the presenter mainly, has got another point of view. And, uh, and when they actually clash, I think it's brilliant. People who, do, who don't understand exactly how, how things work and people who think that they're better informed than the presenter and people who, who are kind of stuck in a time warp and it never changes at all. But I love it. I heard it the other day. I'll be hearing... Uh, I heard it with Andrew Castle the other day. I heard uh, Majid as well. And who else did I hear? I heard somebody else. I think Ian, oh, Ian, Ian Payne, who stood in for me uh, for three days last week. And uh, he owes me commission. And um, he, was, he was sort of discussing things with people because he, he thought he was right. I thought he was right as well, actually. I thought he was right. But uh, other people phoned up to disagree because you can always guarantee that if you go, well, I can't find anybody who disagrees with me. Somebody will phone up and disagrees. It's sure as God made little apples. If, if you actually say to somebody, you, you, could, you could try it yourself. If I sort of said, good Lord, honestly, I've had nothing but compliments about the programme. You can bet, you know, haven't had anything that was derogatory. You can bet your bottom dollar you'll get a derogatory text or an email. That's how it works. It works like that. People, you know, so in other words, if I say ghosts don't exist, somebody's going to write in and go, ghosts do exist. I've seen one. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. No, you haven't. There was an argument like that on the Jeremy Kyle show. He had a woman on there. He said, um, he said, shut up. 
She said no, and she was. I, I thought she was. She was acting quite badly, actually. It was. It was some peculiar conversation, as as is usual with the Jeremy Kyle show. It's generally ghastly people who don't like each other or have to try and find out who's actually having the pregnancy test and who's having the DNA test to find out whether the toothless old hag is actually pregnant, but with somebody, you know, and you, you can't tell who's telling the truth and whether this is just done as an entertainment. Because I can't tell. And he just went, shut up. And she went, no. And he went, shut up. And she went, no. And I thought, you could keep this going for ages. <laughs> and it was, it was the no-win situation. It was the no-win situation. It's sort of people coming on saying something. Sometimes it's so stupid that you can't believe that people actually vote. It's, it's quite frightening sometimes. There is a nice lady in the paper today. Well, I think she's a nice lady. She's, uh, she's on a mission. Her name is Maureen Downey. And um, she says she, she's trying to uh, find the source of the trail of counterfeit wines which appear on eBay. And um, she says they are flogged. On there, empties that once held vintage wine are being sold with original corks for hundreds of pounds. Swindlers then fill them with inferior wine and shift them to unsuspecting buyers for thousands. And then estimated 20% of all fine wine is fake, around £800 million worth. I've often said, if you're buying anything on eBay, do check. You know, if it sounds... A friend of mine once, he bought a pair of trainers. I think they, they were Nike. And uh, he said, I bought a pair of Nike trainers. He said, they're really cheap. He said, they're 40 quid. I said, they're fake. He went, no, they're not. I said, I'm telling you, they'll be fake. And I said, well, I've ordered them. He said, we'll see who's right. Anyway, they arrived. He went, they are fake. I said, of course they're fake. Loads of stuff on eBay is fake. That's the problem. Unless you know what you're looking at. Most people you see buying fine wines. And the reason they get caught out is because if they've got an original bottle with an original cork but an inferior wine inside. You're not going to open the wine. You're going to keep it sealed. So they're safe in the knowledge that you've spent a lot of money. There is one here. She's found a 1984 uh, Romani Conti, which is a top Burgundy, with the original cork for 280 quid. The original sells for £13,000. Now, I have to be honest with you, I don't know anything about wine. I could probably go and sit in Berry Brothers and Rudd down at the bottom of Pall Mall. They're the experts on wine. They've got wine cellars that stretch under St. James's Palace. They would, uh, they, they, they know everything about wine. You know, if you wanted to set up a cellar, you would go to see them and say, listen, I've got £100,000, and they would set you up a very modest cellar because you can spend thousands, if you can spend 13000 on one bottle of wine, and that's average for some people. That's average. People will spend a lot of money, but if they're just buying the bottles on eBay, they can fill it with anything they like. Only an expert would be able to tell. Only an expert would be able to tell. So people get caught out. So this, this lady is trying to go back in the, and find out where this stuff originates from. And the answer is it's playing on people's greed. It's making you think that you're getting a bargain, whereas, in fact, you're not getting a bargain. It's like, you know, you go to the market and the bloke who's flogging the towel says, don't ask, don't ask where they came from. OK, we've got one bath sheet, two, this. Don't, don't ask, back of a lorry, all right. Uh, ten quid the old lot. I went to Northwield Market yesterday and it was very busy. Very busy. People buying things. A lot of people stealing, but, you know, people buying things as well at the same time. I never quite understand why somebody would want to go to a market and steal off people who are struggling to make a living in this day and age. We were, we were having a, a long discussion about it, trying to work out, you know, what sort of people. And some people, the worst thing is people who thieve can easily afford to buy the item that they thieve. It's like if they buy one, they get the second, they think they're entitled to steal a second item. It's very odd, isn't it? I don't, I don't quite understand the mentality behind it, but you do see people doing it all the time, 
all the time. And uh, one here, he says, I'm a first-time texter, so I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> uh, Mike says, what's your recipe for banana lollies? I don't make them. I'm not a company. Somebody else makes them. I just buy it. It's a banana lolly. OK. And that's it. Nikki says, I've just woken up and suddenly remembered you're back. It's like the Christmas morning. Well, it is Christmas. Well done. You've been asleep for six months. Because that's how far we are away from Christmas. Six, isn't it great? I'm going to start looking at uh, poinsettias, I think, and, and deciding the colour theme for Christmas this year. <laughs> Actually, I must take a picture of the, uh, of the plants, which are coming along particularly well, it has to be said, even after all the heat. And I bet many of you have struggled. If you've not been out there and watered properly, then uh, your plants have probably suffered. But uh, mine, have, they are clinging on. I mean, they, they really are clinging on, which was a little bit of a worry. A little bit of a worry. I, was, I saw an advert on the television the other day for the Mail on Sunday. And you get a free, a free dinosaur toy. It doesn't come in the paper. You have to go somewhere to get it. And I've always, always felt it cheated by things. Like, why can't I put it attached to the paper? When you buy comics years ago for kids, children's comics, it used to come with the free gifts stapled on the outside. Like if you bought a packet of cornflakes or whatever it was, you know, the gift would be inside. You'd empty the whole packet onto the floor, wouldn't you, to try and find the free gift, which would be either a, a little parachutist. It was worth, a God, less than a fraction of a penny. But that was, it was worth getting it. We used to swap our cereals around all the time when we were young so that we could have the free gift. My mother said, we don't, we don't buy that cereal. But mum, it's got a free toy in it. She'd go, we don't buy that, OK? And you'd go home in a huff, wouldn't you? You'd be, spend the rest of the time walking around the supermarket, dragging your heels, going, why can't we have that thing? It's Cocoa Pops. Well, you don't like Cocoa Pops. I love Cocoa Pops. Well, what do you want them for? Well, it's got a free toy, isn't it? It's free. Well, it's not really, because it's been added onto the price. I don't care. And you get home, and then you refuse to do anything. You don't do anything after that. You know, your mum says, can you go? No, can't do that. Or failing that, you just drag your heels, don't you? Uh, I wanted out, says Harry, of the royal family. He'd had enough, apparently. He says uh, he wanted to be a bad boy and admitted I spent years kicking my heels. We know. We've seen the pictures. We've seen the pictures. Harry taking his clothes off in Vegas. Uh, Harry lashing out at the press as he came out drunk. Uh, Harry dressing up, uh, Harry then complaining a short while ago, uh, because he didn't want to be, at 12 years old, walking behind his, his mother's coffin. I don't think anybody should have to do that. I don't know whose decision it was, but anyway. He says, the royal family can't go on as it has done. It must change. It will, but it will only change with with the Queen, I should imagine, uh, dying. I don't think it'll be anything else. I'm, I'm pretty certain, pretty certain. And, and I don't know how it will change. I suppose, I mean, at the moment, I don't think he'll be marrying Meghan Markle anytime soon. Theo Usherwood and I have got a fiver on this one. He thinks, Theo is determined to say that, uh, that he, will, uh, he, he will definitely marry her. I said, no, I don't think so. I really don't think so. Also, there's a picture in the paper of her today uh, doing some modelling where she was braless. And um, she sort of got... Uh, it's a bit, it was taken a little while ago, I think, before they started going out. And I thought, I don't think the royal family are like that. But there again, that's why he probably thinks they have to change. You know, the royal family, I think, does have to change. I think they have to, to sort of move in a different direction. Unless we can take them all off the civil list. I don't know how many are on there at the moment. Uh, more on uh, the papers today. The Oxford's PC students want to ban robes, but only for these really clever people. So it's gown and out. Honestly, have you noticed what a mamby-pamby country we've turned into? You know, don't do this, don't do that, can't do this, can't do that, that's offensive, that's, you can't say this, can't say that, not allowed to say somebody's too tall, too 
You know, you wear glasses, all specky four eyes, you know, all that kind of, your ears stick out, you've got freckles. Oh, God. God help you if you're ginger. Imagine if you're ginger, you wear glasses and your ears stick out. I mean, you have been dealt the worst hand because people take the mickey out of everybody. Starts in schools. Uh, also, councils rake in £100,000 with, wait for this one, a nappy tax. A nappy tax. Families with babies must pay up to 62 quid as free larger bins are axed. What do they do with them? What do they do with nappy? I know some people flush them down the toilet. And that's when you get blocked drains. We know because we had that. It cost £9,000 to get this thing flushed out because people were flushing things like that. I mean, what the matter is, Pete? I've got no idea. Oh, look, Lucinda and her chums again. OK, you are. All with Jeremy Corbyn as he gets a great reception at Glastonbury. Of course, they're drunk. Listen, Mother Teresa could walk into a gay bar and they'd all go, yeah, Mother, of course. That's how it works. Eugenie's decided to wander off and not bother doing any work again as she went to Glastonbury. She kept a low profile last time she went. Uh, Brooklyn Beckham went. Perhaps he's learning how to take photographs. A little bit difficult to work one out. And uh, Nigella nails the smout to smile or not smile. Uh, Posh, of course, never grins. This is a t- She's looking old. And she's not that old. She's not that old. They've got a picture, actually. And uh, what have we had, actually? Didn't we have... Um, we've had Father's Day, haven't we? Do we have Father's Yeah, we've had Father's Day. Which means we must be due another one, mustn't we? There must be another one coming up around the corner. I should have Mother's Day, Grandmother's Day, Grandparents' Day. Martina uh, McCutcheon saying, Fame pushed me to the brink of suicide. Isn't it funny how sort of people talk about things afterwards? So people, you know, enjoy everything. Then they go bankrupt. Then they go, fame pushed me to this. Because I think suicide is always a cry for help. Somebody needs some sort of help somewhere. Because nobody, you know, everybody seems to be suffering now. I don't think there's anybody who's not suffering. We're either suffering with the heat, suffering with bullying, suffering with we haven't got any money, suffering with this, suffering with that. You know, the 83 people who decided they didn't want to come out of the, uh, out of the tower block I thought were being incredibly selfish. I thought the council were acting quite responsibly. Might not seem it, but I promise you they are. If the fire brigade say, you need to move out, we need to get this sorted out and done properly, who are these people to be sitting in there, twiddling their thumbs, going, well, I'm not moving. So Camden County, they'll get an eviction notice if necessary. You know, it's like all those stories that emanated about people from uh, from the, the Tower fire were being uh, rehoused hundreds of miles away. It was a load of old baloney. There's no truth in it whatsoever. Also, we've got to ban the man buns. These peculiar people who sort of go around and they've got their hair tied up in a little bun at the back. Girlies. Girlies, that's what they are. They're not normal men at all. There's all sorts of people who've got it. Brad Pitt had it. David Beckham had it at one time. Really odd. Really odd. Uh, Also, I think Brooklyn Beckham had it. Even odder. Even odder. I mean, the worst thing is Leonardo DiCaprio had it done. That was a Titanic disaster. Uh, also, uh, Harry Styles had it. Uh, Bradley Cooper's had it. Uh, Colin Farrell and uh, Orlando Bloom. Thankfully, he's now ditched it and uh, we're all back to normal again. But please don't. You look ridiculous. It's like people who shave the side of their head. I don't know where you think. Where you ever told you this looked good? Seriously, it looks absolutely dreadful. Just have a normal haircut, like me. You know, a little bit of a trendsetter in a, my own peculiar little way. My goddaughter was saying the same the other day at the age of 13. She said, sometimes people don't like what I wear. She said, but I like it. And I said, that's all that matters. I said, if you like it, you wear it. So yesterday she's wearing, because I'm a bit out of touch with these things, you know, a pair of shorts and a bright pink top. 
and some very, very glittery sandals. And she liked it. You know, she's of, of an age where she does makeup, she does her hair. She's gorgeous. She's absolutely gorgeous. But, you know, it's, she said, Uncle Steve, people sort of say that doesn't look right. I said, listen, you wear what you want to. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, every nine minutes to seven. It's Steve Allen's Sunday breakfast. Uh, Daily Star today, Love Island pairs, steamy X-rated romp. It's a bit tragic, isn't it, really, that people are so desperate in their in their so-called careers, that they have to uh, disport themselves on Love Island. To think they're going to walk out of there and go, God, we've really done well. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Uh, CBB Steph. This is the... Uh, uh, Stephanie Davis. This is the one who was dumped from a TV programme, goes on to Celebrity Big Brother, gets pregnant with some bloke she's known for about five seconds, and then they split up, oh, and then they get back together again. Then they split up, then they get back together again, and oh, then she has baby. And then she sells pictures of baby and then they split up and they get back together. And so it goes on. Now, apparently, she's called in police after a sex tape was leaked online. It's, it's, it's a dreadful start to an existence, isn't it, really? You think to yourself, she's a, she's a, a, they say, the former celebrity Big Brother star. There's no star about it at all. It's just desperately sad, lonely people. And they, they sort of turn up on these sort of things. It's, uh, it's all just a bit... It's a bit tragic, really, because you sort of you think, is this the extent of your life? And the answer is probably yes, probably yes. And you start sort of thinking to yourself, it's um, it's it's a little bit, a little bit bizarre, isn't it? Really? Well, I always think it's a bit bizarre that sort of people appear on the on the television in these minor roles, and then the uh, the next thing is they're sort of they they they're, they're classed as stars. <laughs> Ian says, the great Steve Allen confirms it. What a namby-pamby country we've become. Of course they cheered Jeremy Corbyn. They're drunk. It's Glastonbury. What do you think? They stay sober. It's Glastonbury. This is the whole idea. People go to Glastonbury to drink. That's what... Well, I mean, that and thieving. You know, there's a lot of thieving goes on. Ask anybody who's been to Glastonbury. Have you had your tent robbed? Yeah. What have you lost? Most of it. You know, it always amazes me. At the end of Glastonbury, there's all sorts of stuff left there. Bicycles, tents, all sorts of things. But of course people are drunk. They're going there to drink. Everybody takes drink. I mean, it's, you know, if you like Glastonbury, that's great. Uh, also, the crackdown at Royal Ascot are full of drunks. Again, alcohol. alcohol fueled fights taking place. Uh, the celebrity Big Brother babes go to war. Sunita will face her arch, arch enemy, Dawn Ward. Who's Dawn Ward? I've never even heard of you, Dawn. Who are you, dear? Oh, wait a minute. Let's read further, shall we? Real Housewives of Cheshire star Dawn... Oh, God, in other words, a nobody. An absolute nobody. Heavens above. How you can compete with Sunita, I've got no idea. Real Housewives of Cheshire, you can't even name the people who are in the blooming programme. I have to tell you, you're so desperate, you have to appear on something like that. Uh, music revamp will give fresh acts a chance. This is today's Glastonbury headliner, Ed Sheeran. Do you know, I mean, this time, uh, this year, he had 16 songs in the singles, top 20. Is that phenomenal? I don't know how that works, actually, but it's very good. Cara Delevingne was out uh, with her, uh, her girlfriend the other day. And uh, who else have we got? Rag and Bone Man was almost as excited about Jeremy Corbyn being at Glastow as he was about performing on the other stage. Lovely. It's never, I don't know why it doesn't interest me going to Glastow. But I can't think of anything worse than sitting in a field with a load of other dirty, grubby people. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, also, uh, Gemma Arterton, a little bit desperate here. She's, uh, she's uh, doing training to do Thai boxing. So they've taken a picture of it and stuck it in the paper. 
uh, best man star turn. This is a bloke who got married and he decided to write to loads of people and see if he could get a message from them. So the following people gave him a message. Jensen Button, Matt Lucas, Jason Manford. Well, if, if he's doing something on, the, on the, the telephone, you know he likes that. He likes the telephone things. Uh, Gabby Logan, Alan Fletcher. Who's Alan Fletcher? The producer doesn't know either. Probably an age thing, I should imagine. Uh, Carl Kennedy, uh, Jeremy Vine... Actor, apparently. Thank you. Austra- oh, Australian. Well, it doesn't count. They're not Australian actors. They have actors, but they're not. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, Dom Jolly. Oh, God. Uh, Chris Packham. Christian. Jo- I watched Chris Packham on a quiz the other day on the television. You know when the camera's not on him, he looks as miserable as sin. Try and, try and remember to smile. Tell, tell your face, dear. Jake Humphrey. Oh, yes. Uh, Connie Huck. God, she's not still around, is she? Connie Huck's around still. There's good news for everybody. Nikki Campbell. Dave and Marina Berry. Nice. Who's Dave and Marina Berry? <laughs> That's not our Dave Berry, is it? I don't know. And uh, Lila Parsons. Oh, riveting. Lila Parsons. Why do I know Lila Parsons? I'm supposed to know all these people. Oh, Nicola McLean. This is the peculiar one. Who's uh, she? Was, she turned up on Big Brother a short while ago as sort of somebody in there to sort of distract. She's got one of those funny little voices. Talk like that. A bit like some of the people from. Uh, from Essex. They'll kind of talk like that. I don't know why. But uh, even Gary Bushell says it's not exactly classy. This is X on the Beach, the Battle of the Babes. And uh, people talking about who's done what and all the rest of it. He says, uh, what is it? This depressing message sent to legions of teenage viewers is want fame, be a slut. And he's not wrong. That's how bad it's actually got. And then you look at some of these people on there. And you just feel it is like it's the holding pen, the early one for the Jeremy Kyle show. They don't know whether to stick them on the Jeremy Kyle show or Love Island. I go, I tell you what, darling, have you got any tattoos? Are they all spelt correctly? Should we have a look? You got any on there? What, what, what are they about, love? What are they about? I mean, it really gets worse and worse, doesn't it? But uh, it's labelled these bogus shows full of self-obsessed airheads. He said, blimey, I never thought we'd say Gary Bushell saying anything like that. He said, a staged managed in controlled locations, yet they're labelled reality TV. Compare and contrast them with hospitals, the Met, policing London and 24 hours in A&E. I know, it's disgusting, isn't it? But then you can't... You get, one of them was complaining the other day, the language on Big Brother. They just... They don't do anything. Mind you, Colleen Nolan never did anything either. She just sat there and smoked and drank her way into oblivion and then moaned about the fact her marriage was on the rocks. I mean, you sometimes think to yourself, you kind of bring it on yourself, don't you? The other day, they had a competition on Loose Women. competition was to find somebody who could string two words together. And it was a competition to win loads of money. It's all very exciting. And on comes Peter Andre. He's now, his, his career has dipped so far down the U-bend that the best he can get is introducing a competition to win money. And then Colleen Nolan starts toadying up to him, doing this, oh, hello, I'd like to take you home. I'm thinking, I'm sorry, is this the same Colleen who was telling us how much marriage trouble she had? And then you're playing around like this. You don't learn, do you? You really don't learn, fatty. Oh, no, we can't say fatty, can we? Because that's a lie. We don't have to say fatty. We say that diet really will work. She coughed the other day. I thought, oh, she's given up smoking. Because she did tell us she was going to give up smoking. But I have a sneaking feeling the old ashtray is still at it. And that's just about it for this morning. The only reason I say it's just about it for this morning is because I've been through the papers... It's the usual bunch of things. I think the worst story today is the teen thugs attacking Subo. I hope the police are looking into that one. The Brexit fears over the 19,000 EU NHS workers. How many blocks of flats? How many blocks of flats have got this, this stuff that could burst into flames? 34. And we only know about this 
because I've only just started testing them. So obviously there are no regular tests on any of this stuff on any of the flats at all. Isn't that bizarre? I thought they'd be doing that on a regular basis, especially as it's council. You know, in, in the one that burnt, the fire alarms didn't work. There was no sprinkler system. There was nothing at all. And the doors, I'd love to have seen what the doors were, because that went up like a, like a tinderbox. I mean, I just find the whole thing absolutely unbelievable that there's thousands and thousands of people who are going to need to be rehomed, provided you can get 83 people out of Camden's uh, flats who are sort of sitting in there going, I'm not leaving here. And pets everywhere. Everything from a parrot to guinea pigs to hamsters. Budgerigars, very popular budgerigars, but there again, they don't do a lot, do they? They just kind of sit there looking dreary. And dogs. And the amount of people I've heard on LBC, I've got asthma, I've got respiratory problems, and they stick them on the 20th floor. These councils are sick. It's not normal, is it? Listen, have a fantastic day. I should go and do a quick run round the park and I shall be back with you uh, tomorrow morning at four o'clock. I've thanked Ian Payne before. As I say, once he sent me the, uh, the cheque for the commission for me giving him my programme for a few days, we should all be fine. Have a lovely day. I shall leave you in the capable hands of Andrew Castle with breakfast. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.